Hi, so let's continue Yusuf al-Islam's story from where we left off, okay? So we were at this conjecture where the minister of Egypt, he chances upon his wife and Yusuf al-Islam. And his wife blames Yusuf al-Islam for seducing her when it was the other way around. So now he has to decide which of the two was telling the truth. And then... A witness from the household testified, pointing to the evidence of Yusuf al-Islam's truthfulness. So there was a person who witnessed this and they said that if the shirt is torn from the front, then she has told the truth. But if it's torn from the back, then she has lied and he is the truthful. And obviously it was torn from the back. And Yusuf al-Islam, because he was a prophet, Allah saved him from committing indecency and protected him from Zuleika's plan and um, the proof was un- unmistakable so Yusuf al-Islam's master was a wise just man okay Al-Aziz now he did not attempt to defend or exonerate Zuleika simply because she was his wife right rather his interest was in determining the truth so whatever the truth was he wanted to know he didn't really want to support one side or the other and when he saw that the shirt was torn from the back he said to his wife indeed It is your plan and you're one of the sinful. And this was just a small part of what was to happen in his life more. Now, word of what had taken place in the palace of Zuleika and the minister got out and people started talking about it, right? It was spreading and soon it reached Zuleika's ears. And because she was an experienced woman and she didn't want anyone talking about her without knowing enough of it a subtle plan came to her mind she wanted to teach the women who were gossiping about her a lesson so then she invited them to a banquet at her house and at her palace and she gave them each a knife and presented a variety of fruits before them she then called yusuf al-islam to come before them and as yusuf al-islam was still a slave he had no choice but to obey her and when they her friends and the women who were gossiping they looked up they saw his beauty and forgot that they had knives in their hands and the women were so entranced by his shape and form that they cut right through their own flesh and they described Yusuf al-Islam as a noble angel and the wife of Al-Aziz she said and this is the one about whom you blamed me and I certainly sought to seduce him, but he firmly refused. And she said, And if he will not do what I order him, he will surely be imprisoned. Yusuf al-Islam stood before all of these elegant, wealthy ladies in his most innocent form. And he called upon Allah and said, My Lord, prison is more to my liking than that to which they invite me. And if you do not avert from me their plan, I might incline towards them and thus be of the ignorant. Stating that prison was more preferable to him than the environment in this palace filled with greed and lust. And without Allah's help, he might lose his sense of right and wrong and be seduced. So he was admitting that even though he was a prophet, he he could be subjected to temptation. Okay. Although Al-Aziz, the chief minister, he was convinced of Yusuf al-Islam's innocence, 
he had to put him in prison to safeguard his reputation and position at at home because he knew that this would keep going on and it's evident from quranic accounts that yusuf al-islam was by now a prophet and he was re- receiving revelations and inspirations from allah and he now began to carry out his divinely appointed mission inside the prison walls so imprisoned with yusuf al-islam were two men who recognized his piety and righteousness and at some point each of them had a dream which was felt to be of significance and they reported this to yusuf al-islam and they and they asked him for help to interpret it now one man he was the cupbearer to the king which is kind of like a handyman to the king and he saw a dream in which he was pressing wine and the other he was a baker and he saw a dream in which birds were eating bread from his head now yusuf al-islam said that he will inform them of the meaning of their dreams uh but in due time because he needs help from allah and yusuf al-islam assured his two listeners that he would do what they had requested him within a given time frame but before doing so he put before them the outlines of the pure faith of his fathers in, att- in an attempt to make them examine their own beliefs he did this by explaining to them what he believed and what he did not referring to the fact that he and his forefathers had steadfastly rejected the ascribing of any partner to allah so first he calls these two people to islam and then he interprets their dream so yusuf al-islam after fulfilling his duty of calling them to the way of allah gave them interpretation of their dreams to the cupbearer of the king who was who dreamt that he was pressing wine yusuf al-islam said that he would he would pour wine for his master which means he would get out of prison and go back and take up the position of the king's handyman again and as for the baker who dreamt of birds eating bread from his head yusuf al-islam said that he would be crucified and birds shall eat from his head and to convince the man that his faith was unchangeable and sealed and that he must now come to terms with it and prepare for the meeting with his lord he added the matter has been decreed about which you both inquire so in the end he says that i have interpreted your dream but you cannot change it now because it has been sealed and this has been decreed by allah so it will happen no matter what you do and yusuf al-islam approached the cupbearer who was to be saved right and he asked him to mention his name to the king uh, who may be familiar with yusuf al-islam due to the public affair of uh, uh, the publicity of the affair he had with the woman now he hoped that the king would look into his case and free him because he would see the falsity in it and in due course the cupbearer was released from prison as yusuf al-islam had foretold but as allah had willed shaitan caused the cupbearer to forget yusuf al-islam's request to mention him to the king and hence yusuf al-islam remained in prison for a few more years and this was um useful and it was also allah's plan that he stay there because you will see now yusuf al-islam was delivered from prison okay but it was because of another dream now the king of egypt he had a dream and this dream would become the main reason for yusuf al-islam to come out of prison in full honor and dignity the king related it to his chiefs and advisers indeed i have seen in a dream seven fat cows being eaten by seven that were lean 
and seven green spikes of grain and others that were dry. O eminent ones, explain to me my vision, if you should interpret visions. Everyone was as puzzled as the king himself. They declared that this was a mixture of false dreams and maybe it means nothing, so just leave it. But the cupbearer, who was the king's handyman, he remembered that Yusuf al-Islam had interpreted his own dream correctly. So he volunteered to provide an interpretation to the king's dream and asked to be sent to see Yusuf al-Islam. So then he went to prison and he found Yusuf al-Islam and he narrated the dream to him and requested its meaning so that he may return to the people of the court for them to know. His words were understood uh, and so that the king might know that Yusuf al-Islam's true worth and error of keeping him unjustly imprisoned. Now, with Allah's help, he disclosed the meaning of the dream to the cupbearer. He said, you will plant for seven years consequently. Okay, and what you harvest, leave in its spikes, except a little from which you will eat. Then will come after that seven difficult years, which will consume what you saved for them, except a little from which you will store. Then will come after that a year in which people will be given rain and in which they will press olives and grapes. And the king was impressed with the interpretation and he ordered for Yusuf al-Islam to be brought to him. But Yusuf al-Islam responds to the king who came to release him from prison was totally unexpected because he said that he refused to leave prison until uh, the king would ask his people about the case of the woman who cut their hands. So for Yusuf al-Islam it was really important that he not just be free but be cleared, his name be cleared of any error or falsity. The first was that his integrity and innocence should be established beyond any doubt by clearing him of the guilt of the matter of Zuleika and her companions. And second, Yusuf al-Islam needed an assurance that if he left prison, he would not continue to be harassed by the women of the city and by Zuleika, obviously, in particular. And if one or both of these conditions were to be met, he would agree to uh, come out of prison. And so the king became curious and summoned the wife of Al-Aziz and her associates for questioning. The woman's response was immediate and spontaneous. They cleared him of all the evil charges against him. And the wife of the minister then added her testimony, saying, Now the truth has become evident. It was I who sought to seduce him, and indeed he is of the truthful. Obviously, for Zuleika, this public confession was an ultimate act of penance and abasement. Earlier, she had defended herself in front of the other woman, but during the intervening years, she had reflected upon her own actions and upon the absolutely unwavering integrity and purity of the man whom she had deliberately set out to ruin. Yusuf al-Islam's request to the king to clear the matter of the woman was so that his former master Al-Aziz will also know that Yusuf al-Islam was not a betrayer. And now that his integrity was really revealed, um, it is said that he was a prophet protected by Allah from shaitan and his nafs. But Yusuf al-Islam did not hesitate to admit publicly that he could also be subject to temptation. And he pointed out an essential fact for all of mankind to take note of, that nafs, always without exception, incites or urges or commands us to do evil, unless Allah's mercy intervenes. So once his innocence was established, Yusuf al-Islam appeared before the king. And after hearing Yusuf al-Islam's words, the king became even more impressed and entrusted him a position of high rank. 
Now, guided by Allah, Yusuf al-Islam made a request of the king and asked to be appointed guardian of the storehouses of the land. His request was granted and Yusuf al-Islam was made chief minister of Egypt, bearing the title of Al-Aziz, the highest official in the land after the king. Yusuf al-Islam proclaimed Allah's message and established all the laws based on Allah's commands. In addition to this, he stored up the country's grain during the first seven years of plenty, except that portion that the people ate. Now, the young boy that was betrayed and thrown into the well was now established as the chief minister of Egypt. His patience and perseverance and above all his total submission to the will of Allah had already resulted in great reward. Yusuf al-Islam knew, however, that the greatest reward for patience and righteousness would be in the hereafter. Now time passed and during the first seven years of his administration, Yusuf al-Islam set aside abundant stocks of grain. Then came drought and barren years. When people became hungry, Yusuf al-Islam distributed the stored up grain to them. The famine affected neighboring lands as well. Yusuf al-Islam gave grain to any needy person that came to him. And the nearby land of Palestine was also hit by famine and so was Yaqub al-Islam's family afflicted with hunger. They soon heard that the chief minister of Egypt was bartering food for goods. Accordingly, an aged Yaqub al-Islam dispatched his sons, or Yusuf al-Islam's half-brothers, to Egypt to buy food. But he kept home the youngest son, Yusuf al-Islam's full brother, Binyamin. When the brothers arrived in Egypt and were assured to see Yusuf al-Islam, he recognized them immediately. But as they had not seen him since their separation of the well, they did not know him. How would they have known that the little brother that they had sold to the Egyptian caravan and who had been sold into slavery now became the chief minister of Egypt? Yusuf al-Islam was eager for the news of his beloved father, mother and younger brother. He spoke to his brothers in a way that they could not recognize him, inquiring the purpose of their visit. They replied that they had heard he sold grain. And they said, Yusuf al-Islam then asked them where they lived. In Canaan, they replied, and our father is a prophet of Allah, his name is Yaqub. Yusuf al-Islam inquired about other siblings. We were originally twelve brothers, they replied, never suspecting to whom they were speaking. But the younger who was most loved by our father was killed. He had another brother, but our father did not send him with us, keeping him at home because he loves him so much. Concealing his concern about the welfare of his father and the household, Yusuf al-Islam acted suspicious as to the truth of their story. He ordered for his brothers to be treated as official guests and for them to be given as much grain as they could carry home. And before they left, Yusuf al-Islam made clear to them his de- terms for dealing with them in the future. He ordered them to bring him a brother of theirs from their father, meaning Binyamin, or they would not be allowed to visit him in the future. They declared that they would attempt to bring their younger brother along. Yusuf al-Islam ordered his servants also to secretly place the goods that they had bartered for the grain back into their saddlebags so that they may see them upon arrival at home and may be returned to Egypt to return the goods. Now when they returned to their father, Yaqub al-Islam, they explained to him that no more grain would be provided to them unless they travelled with Binyamin. Now Binyamin had become very close to his father, especially after Yusuf al-Islam's disappearance. And remembering his previous loss, Yaqub al-Islam did not want to part with his young son. Once again, the brothers promised to safeguard their youngest brother 
and once again Yaqub al-Islam felt his heart constrict with fear. Yaqub al-Islam was greatly troubled by their demand, for in truth he had never recovered from the pain of his son's earlier betrayal of his trust. Indeed, for all he knew, this might be another plot of theirs for getting rid of their half-brother. But as in the case of Yusuf al-Islam, Yaqub al-Islam was powerless. His sons must return to Egypt to bring more grain to feed the family. And if the story was true, they would not be able to approach the ruler of Egypt unless his youngest son accompanied them. So he surrendered his will to Allah and let his sons take Binyamin along. And then they found that the goods they paid for the grain had been secretly returned to them. The strangeness of his son's treatment by the Egyptian noblemen now became another source of uneasiness for Yaqub al-Islam. But the Prophet's understanding was governed both by patience and by wisdom. And reading the signs, he readily understood that the matter had been decreed by Allah and that his responsibility was to accept the destiny ordained for him. No. So then he told his son that they were to promise in the name of Allah to bring their youngest brother back to him unless they were surrounded by enemies and killed. And then they gave their word to Yaqub al-Islam and said, Allah over what we say is witness. Although Yaqub al-Islam was particularly close to his youngest two sons, he loved all his sons dearly. They were handsome, capable men and Yaqub al-Islam was afraid that some harm might befall them on another trip to Egypt. So to minimize the risks, he made his sons promise to enter the city by different gates. As their father had advised, the brothers entered the city through different gates and soon they were again in the presence of Al-Aziz, which is Yusuf al-Islam. Yusuf al-Islam's feelings at seeing his beloved younger brother after a separation of so many years. It is reported that Yusuf al-Islam paired off the ten brothers two by two for eating and sleeping. Then, since the youngest Binyamin was without a partner, Yusuf al-Islam paired himself with him. Yusuf al-Islam secretly revealed his identity to Binyamin and advised him not to grieve over what they had done in the past or might do in the future. Then, in keeping with the custom, Yusuf al-Islam ordered that one load of grain be given to each of the eleven men. Afterwards, he put a golden cup or bowl used for measuring grain as well as for drinking into his beloved brother Binyamin's bag. Now, when the brothers set out for home, along the way they were summoned back by officials saying that the king's measuring cup was missing. The brothers were astonished and defended themselves. And the officials asked, What is your punishment for one who steals? And the brothers replied that in the religion of their great-grandfather Ibrahim al-Islam, the one who steals is taken as a slave. Yusuf al-Islam did not want his brother punished, but wanted the opportunity to keep his younger brother with him while the others returned to their father Yaqub al-Islam. The bags were searched and the golden cup was found amongst Binyamin's possessions. The brothers were shocked and bewildered. Although they did not have the means to disprove it, neither did they make the slightest attempt to defend Binyamin's honor because, because they wanted to clear themselves of the suspicion. Thus they failed both Binyamin and their father, with whom they had taken a sacred oath by Allah to do all in their power to protect their youngest brother and to bring him home safely. Now, hearing his brother's accusation, Yusuf al-Islam kept it all within himself, including all that he had observed of their selfishness and greed. 
Now recalling their solemn promise to their father, the brothers began to reflect on the difficulty of the situation. They were deeply troubled about how they would face him with such news, which would so greatly add to his grief and it might kill him. They pleased to the Al-Aziz and spoke about his old age and weakness and his great love for Binyamin. They also repeated that Binyamin's brother had been lost in the past and since their father was already broken-hearted, he would probably die when he heard the news. Yusuf al-Islam remained adamant. The brothers realized that they had reached a dead end. There was nothing further to be hoped from Al-Aziz unless they complied with his demand. Now, the eldest brother took charge and reminded the rest of their oath to their father and that they had previously failed concerning Yusuf al-Islam. So he offered to remain in Egypt while the others retained, uh, returned to Canaan with Binyamin. Now, the nine brothers went back home with their loads of grain and with heavy, troubled hearts. When they put the whole matter in front of the father, the aged, weakened prophet did not collapse or die in front of their eyes as they had feared. Instead, he responded to their news with the same words he had spoken when they had bought him the false tale of Yusuf al-Islam's death. Rather, your souls have enticed you to something, so patience is most fitting. Perhaps Allah will bring them to me altogether. Indeed, it is he who is knowing, the wise. Yaqub al-Islam had firm faith that Allah's will was working in some strange, mysterious fashion and that it was towards some good end. Nonetheless, the pain of separation and the strangeness of the situation worked upon the bereaved father's heart. He was overcome with grief and wept uncontrollably. This time he had not lost one son but two more. He remembered Yusuf al-Islam and wept until he became ill and lost his sight. The brothers were concerned about his pain and sorrow and questioned his constant grief. Despite the fact that it was they who had brought this trouble upon their old father, the nine sons were anything but sympathetic as they listened to his broken-hearted murmuring. They reproached him by saying, By Allah, you will not cease remembering Yusuf until you become fatally ill or become of those who perish. He said, I only complain of my suffering and my grief to Allah, and I know from Allah that which you do not know. He addressed his sons and asked them to go and seek information about Yusuf al-Islam and Binyamin. Overlooking their lack of sympathy and support, he tried, despite his own grief, to give them comfort in their uneasy and troubled state. O oh, my sons, go and find out about Yusuf and his brother and despair not of relief from Allah. Indeed, no one despairs of relief from Allah except the disbelieving people. The nine brothers now returned once more to Egypt. They stood before Al-Aziz and Yus the Yusuf al-Islam. This time, their pride was broken and their dignity stripped away. They begged him to release their brother Binyamin, who stood by Yusuf al-Islam's side. When the brothers appealed to Yusuf al-Islam and described the sufferings of their family, he began to weep. The command came to him now to make himself known to them, actualizing what has been revealed to him years earlier when they had abandoned him in the well. You will surely inform them someday about this affair of theirs while they do not perceive your identity. The brothers fell back in astonishment at hearing Yusuf al-Islam mentioned by the virtual ruler of Egypt. Then it is reported they saw on his forehead, now that he had removed his coronet, a mark which they recognized as belonging to Yusuf al-Islam. Even then they could hardly believe the evidence of their eyes. Are you indeed Yusuf? They asked in utter amazement. He said, 
I am Yusuf and this is my brother. Allah has certainly favored us. Indeed, he who fears Allah and is patient, then indeed Allah does not allow to be lost the reward of those who do good. Imagine the deep shame and humiliation the brothers must have felt at that moment. When Allah had tested them, they had listened to shaitan, allowing envy and enmity to dominate their lives. While they had tried to destroy Yusuf al-Islam when he was vulnerable and weak, even to the point of contemplating murder, he had repaired their evil by generosity and kindness. While they had hated and envied him, he had shown them utter nobility of heart. They said, By Allah, certainly Allah has preferred you over us, and indeed we have been sinners. Gentle and forbearing, Yusuf al-Islam had no desire to take revenge on his brothers by even so much as a hint of reproach. He said, No blame will there be upon you today. Allah will forgive you, and he is the most merciful of the merciful. Yusuf al-Islam immediately made plans to reunite his family. He requested the brothers return to their father and cast an old shirt of his over their father's face. This, he said, would cost him, would cause him to become clear-sighted. That is, he will get his vision back. He added, and bring me your family altogether. And so the brothers set out again for home. When the caravan departed Egypt, Yaqub al-Islam's premonitions and intimations from Allah became very strong and he began to feel the scent of Yusuf al-Islam. His family members showed him no pity or sympathy and dismissed the aged prophet as being deranged. The brothers arrived home and they cast the shirt over Yaqub al-Islam's face and he became clear-sighted. He cried out, Did I not tell you that I know from Allah that which you do not know? The brothers expressed their remorse and sorry for what they had done. The noble prophet assured his sons that he would ask for forgiveness for them from Allah. Like Yusuf al-Islam, he uttered no reproach, vented no anger, and held no grudge in his heart against his ten sons for all the suffering they had caused him and their two younger brothers. More than that, he comforted them and assured them of Allah's unfailing forgiveness, saying, Indeed, it is he who is forgiving the merciful. The patriarch then departed with numerous family members from Palestine towards Egypt. It is reported that when Yaqub al-Islam's family neared Egypt, Yusuf al-Islam went out to receive his parents with honor, accompanied by many people, possibly including the king and the royal ministers. And he raised his parents upon the throne, and they bowed to him in prostration. Then Yusuf al-Islam said, O oh my father, this is the explanation of my vision of before. My Lord has made it reality, and he was certainly good to me when he took me out of prison and brought you here from Bedouin life after shaitan had induced between me and my brother's estrangement. Indeed, my lord is subtle in what he wills. Indeed, it is he who is the all-knowing, the all-wise. Then Yusuf al-Islam recited one of the most beautiful prayers recorded in Quran, saying, My lord, you have given me something of sovereignty and taught me of the interpretation of dreams. Creator of the heavens and earth, you are my protector in this world and in the hereafter. Cause me to die a Muslim and join me with the righteous. At this point, the best of stories come to an end. See, the heart of the story of Yusuf al-Islam is patience in the face of adversity and sorrow. He faced every trial with patience and complete trust in Allah. And his father, Yaqub al-Islam, bore his grief and misery with patience and submission. We may assume from another verse in Quran that perhaps after repentance, 
Yusuf al-Islam's brothers became better men, sincere in faith, and continued Allah's worship and carried the message of his oneness to all other Egyptians. It is reported that when death approached Yaqub al-Islam, he made Yusuf al-Islam his ayah, giving him promise that he would take his body back to Palestine for burial, which Yusuf al-Islam dutifully fulfilled, burying his father with Ibrahim al-Islam and Ishaq al-Islam in the cave that Ibrahim al-Islam had bought for the purpose in Hebron. Yusuf al-Islam is said to have been the father of two sons, Ibrahim and Manasseh, and that he lived for 120 years. Yusuf al-Islam's high rank with Allah is made clear by the fact that Prophet Muhammad met him in the third heaven during his ascension to the heavens. And this is narrated in Bukhari Hadith. Now Yusuf al-Islam's story is loaded with powerful, unmistakable symbolism. The ten brothers are unwilling to admit uh, Allah's given superiority of their half-brother's nature over their own. And out of envy and readiness to follow shaitan's promptings, they conspire to reduce him to the lowest of the low. But Allah, who has granted Yusuf al-Islam a noble nature and chosen him as a prophet, took him out of the depth of degradation and raised him to the height of honor, power, authority and usefulness. And in the end, the brothers had no choice but to admit his superiority and their own sinfulness. There is a striking lesson in forgiveness and generosity. His kind behaviors towards his brother without a word of reproach makes him the model of forgiveness, forbearance and generosity of all times. And from Zulekha's affair, we learn that prohibited deeds and sins can be resisted if there is sufficient fear of Allah and a strong will. And from Zulekha, we learn the lesson of taking honest responsibility and facing the consequences of your own mistakes without lying or making excuses. The central message of the story in the words of Yusuf al-Islam himself is, Indeed, my Lord is subtle in what he wills. That is the unfathomable and often mysterious workings of the divine will. Allah's wisdom and knowledge are so all-embracing and yet subtle that only he knows the interconnection of events and people within his divine plan. And the ultimate important lesson of Yusuf al-Islam's story is summed up in Yaqub al-Islam's words, repeated twice over, that patience is most befitting in relation to the working of Allah's plans. And here we end with Yusuf al-Islam's story, and I will meet you back with Prophet Ayyub al-Islam. So, take care, and bye.